What is up, bosses? Let me tell you about our brand new sponsor to the show. It is Flippa. Flippa is the world's largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. They have everything from Shopify and Amazon stores, blogs and content sites, mobile apps, software as a service businesses, and domains. If you're a business owner looking for liquidity, Flippa is the perfect exit strategy. I'm going to tell you all about Flippa during the break in the show, but if you want to check them out right now, just go to flippa.com slash boss. That's F-L-I-P-P-A dot com slash boss. You can get registered as a buyer and tap into the mini businesses for sale. That's flippa.com slash boss. All right, let's get the show started. I'll give you a full explanation of how Flippa works during the break. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, this is Johnny FD and welcome to episode 197 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I am in my humble Airbnb rental in Kevin Crane and Sam in his, is in his gaudy palace in Barcelona. Uh, it's only gaudy because I just put up a mirror that looks really gaudy. And we were just saying it's a little over the top, but <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll let it ride for a bit. And then I'll, I'll donate it some somebody else and put up something more contemporary. But it's finally uh, all the furnishings are done and I can kind of relax and enjoy the place. Nice. Yeah, I would love to see a, a full um, house tour. Maybe you can put it up on the Patreon. Yeah, we could do something like that. Probably do something yeah. in Barcelona. Um, I know we've been talking about doing a meetup here, so be on the lookout for that as well. I like it. But you know what? I actually like Gaudi. The gold and kind of that old classical look, that's how my apartment's going to be as well. Yeah, so we, we, have, we have to like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, and actually, is it the, the architect for that, that the really famous cathedral named Gaudi? Gaudi. Gaudi or Gaudi? Gaudi. Something, something yeah. There you go. Yeah, he's done a lot in Barcelona. Well, yeah. So speaking of doing a lot, when I saw that you guys wanted to do a third Metaverse episode in a row, I was like, why? What else is there to talk about? I didn't want to do it. And then I had a good conversation with with uh, with my buddy. Uh, I won't say his name, but we'll call him uh, K. My buddy K. Really smart guy. That with the smartest guy I, I know when it comes to tech and just being well-researched. And he told me, he said, he listened to our last two episodes and he said that we, we dropped, we like missed so much. Yeah. And he says that your portfolio, he, he said you're invested in all the wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe what's, that? What's he, what's he invested in? How much money has he got? Let me, let me talk. Let me have a he, chat with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can uh, maybe introduce you offline, but basically he said that your focus was on the companies or the systems that's going to, you know, the, the metaverse is going to participate on. And he says like, he understands your, your thinking and that is what worked in web 2.0. And he says that where you missed or what, you know, we weren't looking at is that this is not web 2.0 anymore. This is web 3.0. Right. And that these companies you know, creating the, the tech or creating the, the systems, they're not going to be the ones making all the money. And, and a good example he, he gave, he said, you know, a lot of people invested in, in Coinbase because it seemed like, you know, a good solid investment if uh, cryptocurrency was going to get more popular. 
And that seems like a very logical way to invest, you know, um, especially because, you know, uh, that's what we would have done if, uh, you know, if we could have invested in Facebook or Instagram or, you know, um, LinkedIn or any of these companies kind of early on, it seems like the way to go. That's, that's the platform, but that's web 2.0 thinking. Mm-hmm. Web 3.0 thinking is screw the companies. We're going to invest and build it ourselves. Interesting. I don't know where that leaves us, but I'm sure you'll have some, some stock picks for us in the outro. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, great. I'll, I'll save it for then. Awesome. So, so I, I agree with you, like three is sort of overkill, but we had the opportunity to bring on a great guest uh, in this episode, John Radoff. In fact, when it comes to explaining the metaverse and, and taking us sort of on a vision quest, I haven't seen anything on YouTube that has been as interesting and, and convincing as, uh, as John's videos. So we had the opportunity to bring him on. And of course, still had tons of questions um, to be answered. And so this one's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more of a, a vision quest that John's going to take us through looking at, again, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some of the, the companies, but how, it, how it's all playing out. And John's actually owns a company called Beamable that is, um, that is helping enable creators develop quicker and publish faster on the universe, uh, you know, on the universe, might as well call it the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the <laughs> So I think I think we'll we'll knock this one out. This one to me is the most exciting one, actually, of the of the of the three part series. And after this, we'll we'll probably cool the jets, but I'm sure we'll have more episodes coming out in the future on on the metaverse. Because um, and and we'll see after Johnny has his information he's going to share in the outro, because that might spark a whole new a whole a whole another rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, definitely. The, the goal is going to be to kind of wrap it up for, for now. And it'd be really interesting to revisit in a year, but definitely stay tuned for the outro because we have a lot to talk about there. But first, here's the interview with Sam and John. This week's sponsor of Invest Like a Boss is Flippa. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it may be because they were a guest on iLab last year. We talked to the CEO, Blake Hutchison, in episode 144, if you want to go back and check that out. Now, what is Flippa? They are the world's largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. They have everything. I'm talking Shopify and Amazon stores, blogs and content sites, mobile apps, software as a service businesses, and even domains. So if you're a business owner looking for liquidity, Flippa is the perfect exit strategy. You can quickly and accurately value your business and then list it on Flippa to instantly tap into the largest pool of qualified buyers in the world. Now, as a buyer or investor, Flippa gives you access to high quality online businesses so you can create ancillary income streams, diversify investment portfolios, or become a digital entrepreneur. It's all the stuff that we talk about doing right here on Invest Like a Boss. They have hundreds of online businesses listed every single week. So you're sure to find the perfect fit for you. Just visit flippa.com slash boss today. You'll get the best price for your online business or register as a buyer and tap into all these new businesses coming up for sale. That's flippa.com slash boss, F-L-I-P-P-A.com slash boss to get started today. 
Hey, really quick, bosses, before we start the interview, John Radoff wanted us to make it clear to our audience that any comments he makes in this interview are simply his opinion and not to be taken as investment advice. And he is not recommending investing in any of the securities that he mentions in the interview. All right, here we go. It's Sam and John Radoff. We're back with a very exciting episode. John Radoff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I just want a vision quest with you for as much time as we possibly can, because watching your videos on YouTube has cemented uh, and lengthened my interest in the metaverse. And I was hoping for someone that could really kind of tell the story uh, in such detail as you have. And I'm really pumped that we were able to get you on the show. Yeah, thanks. It's something that I feel like I've always been a part of. I, I feel like I've been living in the metaverse. The metaverse is here right now. Like, But when I grew up as a kid, I had two twin loves, coding, mm-hmm. programming computers, and Dungeons and & Dragons. And Dungeons & Dragons was sort of like, to me, the proto-metaverse. It's the realm of the imagination, and you do whatever you want. And, and that's kind of where we're going the met- with the metaverse. It's the next generation of the internet, and it's going to be very informed by games. I think it will actually be built on top of the game technology stack. It's going to be about real-time interaction. It's going to be about putting more power back in the hands of creators. So it's a really awesome time to be alive and just being involved in all this stuff. And as you can tell, I just love talking about it. So how can I help? How can I help? (laughs) Yeah. So I guess just getting early into, I mentioned earlier, like the vision quest, but You've you've been around computing and gaming since you were a little kid. I mean, how do you, how do you see that whole story being told? And like, as as the layers of the internet and technology continue to jump on top of each other, and where where does the metaverse? Uh, I keep hearing people mention metaverses in the next, you know, the, the evolution of the internet. How do yeah. you, what's your vision of this this whole thing? I, I know that can be lengthy, but try to give us your your picture of it. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I think that it's better to think of it as a convergence of several really important trends that are going on rather than think of the metaverse as like a product that one company is going to make and try to own. And they're just going to finally hit all the check boxes. And then we have the metaverse that we all have to go into. There's this movie called Ready Player One, which probably a lot of people have seen. They, they ha- kind of had this vision of a metaverse it was called the oasis in the movie and in the books but it's actually the exact opposite of where i think the world is going because that idea was like there'd be this trillion dollar company that owns the metaverse and everybody has to go and do business with them in fact that was the plot of the movie is like Mm the ceo who had died is trying to find a way to pass on his legacy but i think it's going to be far more decentralized than that i think it's going to have lots of islands in fact we're going to have a multiverse of metaverses really it's going to be a whole lot of different things that you can do and there's going to be different worlds different environments different creator platforms and you'll travel at different places that are either owned by different companies or even by communities. And that's very different than this idea of like one metaverse to rule them all. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, if we look back to the history of the internet, so the internet was created as this very highly decentralized network. It was designed so that any part of the network could be lost or disconnected or even destroyed and the whole internet would survive. So it was, it was, then kind of designed around that and the world wide web 
inherited those properties. The domain name system inherited those properties. So th- those are aspects where if you want to make a website or you want to get a domain name, you really can own that. You can build it however you want. But then over time, we saw this creation of a lot of very, very powerful centralized platforms, whether ones by Facebook or Apple and whatnot. And we started to become very, very dependent on these centralized platforms. Now, where I think we're going, though, is much different than that. I I think that it's going to be a lot more decoupled from the centralized platforms. It's going to be more about various games, experiences, things that you can do online, where it is completely independent of, of these very, very big gateways that you have to go through. So that's, that's a big aspect that I'm excited about because I think that's how you ultimately maximize innovation. You don't have a lot of toll booths all over the place that cut down on what entrepreneurs are going to be able to build in it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately it's all about experiences that people are going to have. So my conceptual model of how I think about the metaverse is it starts with the things that you actually do in it. Now, the number one thing that people do right now, they play games, but there's some really interesting emerging things. There's immersive social experiences like VR chat, Facebook horizons. That's where it's much more socially oriented. Or if you look Mm -hmm. at something like Roblox, for example, a lot of what people are doing in Roblox is games, but also there's just pure you know, entertainment or social experiences that could have never really been launched as individual games. Mm -hmm. You get another platform called Rec Room. So the first things we're going to see is going to be games. And then the things that are like game adjacent, like these social experiences, live music is another whole super interesting category. But then all of this is going to start informing a whole other set of applications beyond that. So things that we might call the future of work. So Mm -hmm. office collaboration and working with each other, telepresence, travel, and it's really going to affect every aspect of life. And how are we all going to access the metaverse? Is that, is it primarily going to be through hardware headsets? No, that's just one aspect of it. In fact, I don't even in my view of the metaverse, it's not even about graphics necessarily. Mm -hmm. So for example, I think when you go onto one of these new social audio platforms like clubhouse, for example, like that to me is the metaverse because it's communities coming together, interacting in real time. You've got these virtual communities, which have really been empowered through it. And that's part of the metaverse as well. Um, You know, VR is an interface to the metaverse and for certain kinds of applications, VR virtual reality is going to be a good way to do it. Augmented reality is another way of looking at it, which is not just going into a virtual environment, but actually taking the virtual environment and layering it over the entire world around us. That's Mm -hmm. augmented reality. So those things are going to be part of it, but you'll be able to access the metaverse, or I should say you are already accessing the metaverse through things like your mobile phone or your computer screen. Like I said earlier, I don't think it's about just you know, making a list of tech requirements, like it's got to be VR or it's got to be blockchain enabled or something. And as soon as you satisfy all that, that's a metaverse. I think anything that really fits into these huge megatrends that we're 
dealing with, which is both social and technological. So socially, we've now got a couple of generations of people that have grown up in virtual worlds, comfortable with cryptocurrencies and other virtual goods in, in virtual environments. They are used to the idea that their online identity is a very real part of their identity their reputation online, what they're known as, how they connect with each other. So that's a huge social change from, say, 20, 30 years ago when anybody who was doing that would be kind of, you know, they would have been like me, like a nerd, just kind of getting into this stuff, but no one else (laughs) knew what I was doing. So that social change has really trained people on not just games, but this whole next range of applications that we're going to start having that benefit from virtual worlds and immersive graphics and real-time activity Mm -hmm. and virtual currencies and all that stuff. You mentioned Ready Player One. I'm sure our listeners would be tired of hearing that reference because <laughs> I referenced it on, a, on, on probably the last six episodes. But for me, that really is what pe- started peaking interest. When I watched that movie and then pretty soon thereafter, I put on an Oculus headset and I got into it. was just my buddy's headset. So I don't even know the, the, the names of the applications, but there's one boxing application and there was, there was another like workspace application. And between yeah. the two, the boxing application had basically felt like I was getting in a real world fist fight and it was the best workout <laughs> I've ever been in. I'm sitting there dripping, soaking wet and sweat. Um, and, and then the workspace environment was like, I was by myself, but I was, I felt like I was in this incredible workspace and now we've got COVID that's been, that's accelerated this work from home movement. And now I can, I can absolutely see how you know, the workspace collaboration will be tremendous through, through, through the metaverse and, and particularly probably an AR or VR headset um, where you can be collaborating with an avatar of somebody that it looks the best version of themselves while you're, you're sitting ba- basically in your pajamas at home. Um, yeah. And like that seems like it's really close already. And given that most people spend most of their waking hours working or doing something, some type of job or productivity, that seems like that could be a huge application that is, is disruptive, but, um, but, but also increases like labor efficiency as, as well. And then, and it doesn't seem that far away. So those two things between Oculus headset and watching ready player once really what, what peaked, um, what piqued my interest in it, but I guess to, to just follow up on your point regarding ready player one, that's how I started thinking about the metaverse was that, all right, it's going to be, it's just going to be someone that owns it. Right. And everyone's going to have to go in and play it. But when you think of all the different nightmare. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I like the decentralized version a lot better, but um, the, you know, you think of all the different components that will go into the metaverse from the hardware to the gaming companies, to the software, to the payment processors and possibly the currencies and, and so on and so forth. You know, how do you see if you, if you have a cell phone today and you have the hardware, you have the operating system, and then you have all the apps, do you think the metaverse is, is more or less the same you have, you're going to have multiple different metaverses, but you're ultimately going to have something, some type of hardware, you're going to have some type of operating system. And then you're going to have all these creators that are creating applications um, and environments that you can join. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so a lot of the technology already exists, but it's just not nearly good enough. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest challenges for truly widespread adoption of what we might think of as the metaverse is 
ergonomics of all of mm-hmm. this technology. So like, you know, VR sets, for example, are still way too heavy. They're too clunky. It kind of reminds me of Gordon Gecko with the brick phone back in the 90s or I think it was 90s or even 80s, whenever that the Wall Street movie was. Like that just isn't going to go super broad and it's not something you're going to want to use throughout the day, whereas you need to get it down to the form factor of like glasses or something like that. But, you know, glasses to be useful are going to have to have a lot longer battery life, a lot more computation, a lot more capabilities than they currently have um, because we do have a couple of glasses that are available, but they don't do tons, but it's really interesting to kind of look at it going in that direction. But yeah, you, this the metaverse, if we think of it as this collection of trends, this idea towards more and more real-time activity, more and more access to information and layering the metaverse around the world that sits around mm-hmm. us, as well as going into virtual environments and all of the social trends that go along with that, which is virtual societies and my online identity being so important. All right. So how do you break that down into like a value chain of what are all the pieces that make this up starts with the experiences, because I think that's all the consumers at the end of the day care about, like, what are they going to do in it? We, we talked about some of them games, the workforce collaboration stuff that we're talking about, you know, but at the opposite extreme, you've got all the really fundamental deep tech and science and engineering that's going into things like batteries, getting batteries smaller. You've got semiconductors, making them smaller, faster, more powerful, and certain kinds of semiconductors, right? So this is very driven by GPUs because GPUs are what leads to both the graphics rendering layer as well as artificial intelligence and even things like cryptocurrency. So there's a lot happening you know, at the semiconductor level. So you could go on and on with that, you know, fiber, telecommunications networks, edge computing. And then in between that, you know, how do we link all that together? Well, you've got the hardware devices that are built on top of all of these components, what I call the human interface layer. And that's the VR and the smart glasses and who knows someday brain computer interface, but also mobile phones and computers and the stuff that we're already using are, are still a very important part of that. There's all the stuff happening with blockchain because that's going to help decentralize a lot of the application development process, the wallet-based identities, the ability for people who are crafting experiences to plug components together without having to build things like marketplaces themselves. Mm-hmm. Blockchain is not the only de- form of decentralization. It's also open source and open platforms and things that are going to support developers to really own their own destiny. There's the discovery platforms like ad networks and these new community platforms like Discord that are actually enabling how people find out what they are going to experience. And then there's the whole set of creator tools and the spatial computing, which is enabling it. So spatial computing is these companies that are figuring out how to actually render 3D graphics in space and work with it. And then the creator platforms are the people who 
you know, actually my own company is in this business helping people make experiences online. So there's ones that are focused on the graphics side, the animation side, the world building side, or the cloud-based infrastructure mm -hmm. to enable live experiences online in the metaverse. So I've heard you talk about and see what seems to be some of the household names of, of metaverse uh, graphic rendering is Unity, Unreal Engine, and I don't know if you would throw Roblox in there as well, if you consider that more of a gaming company, but can you, can you talk a little bit about those, at least, at least unity and unreal engine, how they compare and, and who you think is doing better in, in different areas? Well, I think it's important to understand they're very different companies. Mm -hmm. So they're all in the creator economy in different ways in that they are all providing ways that people with a game idea or an experience idea can sit down in front of their computer and make an experience for the metaverse or a game that people can play. Hmm. So Unity and Unreal both have their own 3D engine. So a 3D engine is essentially a technology that does a lot of stuff with math and GPUs and tying that back to models and geometry so that you can actually see a 3D graphic space on your screen or in a virtual reality and whatnot. So there's Unreal Engine and Unity. And I think where Unreal has always um, done really well is what with what's called AAA game developers. So these are like high-end Hollywood movies, uh, movie-ish game experiences. Mm -hmm. Games can cost over $100 million to build a AAA, wow. game, AAA game. So <laughs> they, so it is accurate to compare them to like Hollywood movies. Wow. And uh, Unreal has always done very well in that market. A lot of big, big games have been built on top of their engine. Where Unity has done spectacularly well is really democratizing that and bringing it to a huge number of developers. They have like one and a half million people that are actively building on top of Unity each wow. month. I think it's something like 8,000 games or something per month are being shipped on top of Unity. So they're putting out a huge volume. And what that's led them do is a completely different business model than Unreal. So Unreal is a revenue share model. And Unity is an, has actually built an advertising network on top of it. That's where they get most of their revenue because they're on a couple billion devices now. Mm -hmm. They have a huge, huge device footprint. And then Roblox, again, very different company. They do have a 3D engine that they make available, but it's really just for use inside Roblox. So, mm -hmm. you know, Roblox is sort of part YouTube for games, meaning you go to it and you can see all these things people have made and you just pick which one you want to do or you see which ones your friends are in, as well as part development tool because what they do is give you a complete technology stack for rendering the game at the 3D engine level, the live world environment, the persistence, the ability to script and create rules. They give you that. So you just sort of live within this, this builder environment that they've created, and then you can deliver games and stuff that you've made. And what's really amazing with them is like there are kids, like teenagers who are making like millions of dollars a year on Roblox because they've created things, you know, not unlike YouTube that just clicked with the audience and Roblox has just made it so, so much easier for people to build. Mm -hmm. so, but very, very different companies. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing a bit of that. It's, it's, it's great background on the two companies. The, 
I got really excited recently about the metaverse because I actually had been thinking about this this whole digital world coming to life, but without ever hearing the term metaverse until till recently, just about a month ago. And my my thought is that for the mainstream, a lot of people probably don't even know they're they're playing in the metaverse right now. But a lot of people, like myself, I'm not a gamer, but I'm on my I'm on my computer screen and my cell phone at least twelve hours a day. Then you got TVs and other stuff, right? So I'm, I'm living very much in a digital world. Um, it seems like there's so many of the components that are coming online now. But before maybe a really life changing experience uh, for anybody in the metaverse for the mainstream still could be. It still could be a half a dozen years out, maybe maybe sooner. But my belief was that the hype of the metaverse, the mainstream is going to start hearing the term metaverse and seeing all these big companies working on it and start getting this vision of, of what life might be like in 10 or 20 years, literally living in, in some type of virtual or augmented reality. And that that might um, that may very well be a good time to, you know, to, to invest or be trying to, to participate in uh, in metaverse in the metaverse in some way, where do you think we are in the metaverse right now? And I know you're, you've talked about different evolutions of technology with kind of pioneering areas and the engineering areas and the creator era, how early on in, in sort of the hype wagon do you think we are with the metaverse? Yeah. So I think any creative field goes through a relatively consistent pattern that it develops through. So in the early days of something, it's what I call the pioneer era when there is no technology available, you have to invent the technology and and you have companies that just make it, you know, on their own. So like an example of that would be someone like Pixar, for example, Pixar actually had to create a huge amount of the software to actually even make a 3d graphics movie. Like there wasn't much, there was a little bit out there, but nothing that you could really use at that time. So they had to invent the technology. Uh, And you have that in other industries, like Amazon did that with e-commerce, whatnot. Uh, A lot of game companies that launched online games early on, there was nothing available. So they had to create it. There's there's then a, a second era that you can kind of predict after that, which is suddenly you have a lot of engineering teams trying to make it. Uh, make it and clone from other people or fast follow, or maybe they have a unique idea in terms of their content, but there's still no established software market to help them build on top of that. So they tend to suddenly need a lot of tools to make them a lot more efficient. So you see a lot of tools and platforms being created to support them. And you could look at the, all these web-based applications that we've got, for example, you got, you know, the database technologies like a MongoDB or all these application server platforms like Ruby on Rails and Node.js. So all these technologies created just to help people build stuff more efficiently, but it's really targeted at the engineers. And then the third era that I see things moving to virtually every time is what I call them the creator era, which is the end of the day, these are artistically driven products. It's about storytellers and people who are actually involved very intimately in the creative process. And they are the ones who do end up making a lot of the content and then leading it long-term. So then you've got the companies that really direct their technologies towards supporting them very directly as opposed to like an engineering team. So in desktop publishing, for example, like Adobe has been there virtually the whole way from the invention of PostScript as a, as like a, 
engineering technology to enable desktop publishing all the way to today when they have this whole set of you know creative tools. So that's just one example. You get companies like Unity, for example, that I think are doing that for 3D graphics. They're really enabling the artists and the creators to make that kind of content without having to go and talk to say a graphics programmer or uh, someone who knows matrix math. You actually had to do that in the past if you wanted to actually build a a 3D immersive game. So it it does kind of go through this progression of industries. And your question was, well, where is the metaverse right now? Um, we're, We're still very much, I'd say at an inflection point going from that engineering era into the creator era, Mm -hmm. because where we are today is there are certain technologies that have gotten very, very advanced and easy to use for the mass market for certain aspects of creativity. So 3D graphics, for example, if you want to do that, like I said, Unity and Unreal have a solution for you that, that you can pull off the shelf and start building. And if you want to do, you know, artistic, you know, 2D graphics, desktop publishing, websites, Adobe's got you covered for a lot of that. You don't have to be an engineer anymore to do those things. On the other hand, enabling what the metaverse is actually about, which is real-time world-building immersive experiences, whether it's in VR or not, that's very, very early. With most teams that I see out there, because I run a company that's actually here to try to help with that part, which is which is help with how do you create a live online game experience for people? Well, in the past, that's required engineering teams to build servers and things like that, or mm-hmm. a lot of complex systems integration. So that's where we saw our opportunity to come in and, and really just help with that. But that's, that's a very early stage of this process. I think if you were to go around to all the, com- the quote unquote metaverse companies mm-hmm. that are building these experiences today, and they got started in the last year or two, what you'd find is they almost always have a huge engineering team trying to build this up in their back end, mm-hmm. which tells me they're still in that engineering era, if not even a little bit earlier than that. So that's what I think we have to look for over the, the next few years is just how do we make that easy? And, and that's sort of my general thesis on the metaverse overall, which is it's about ergonomics, ease of use. Like to me, that's the biggest challenges the market faces, yeah. whether it's make it easy for a creator to get stuff online, make it easier to plug applications together so that they can communicate with each other, make it easier to wear a headset so that I don't have to walk around with, you know, pounds of technology on my head. <laughs> like anybody who's making big investments in the R&D that's necessary to make all of this stuff easier, more ergonomic, more accessible. To me, that's who will be leading the way into the metaverse in the next decade. So look 10 years out. Do you think we're still using, you think, you think we're still using phones? And, Let me get and, my crystal ball. Hold on. There you go. Look 10 years out. Tell us. <laughs> phones. What, what devices are we using? Phones and computers? Do you think they're do you think they're as relevant and used as they are today? Or do you think a lot of this is going to be shifting into to headsets, a lot of the usage? Um, well, I think the it's going to be mobile in some way, but let's, let's redefine what we think 
mobile even means, right? Mm -hmm. Like phones don't, phones basically don't exist anymore. No one uses a quote unquote phone. Like, I don't know, usually you might see one on the wall somewhere, I guess (laughs) someone got it installed 10 or 20 years ago or something. But Mm -hmm. the thing you carry around with you is not a mobile phone. It's a mobile computer that just happens to have a phone application on it. So we're going to keep seeing more and more power in that mobile computer that you're carrying around with you. Now, I think there's a question which is really going to be determined by just what are the limits of things like battery technology, materials, semiconductors that determine whether you can take that amount of computing power and put it into something the size of your sunglasses. If we can, maybe you won't need that separate device anymore, or we might go through some kind of transition period in which you might think of the glasses as almost like a peripheral device and you still have the phone, but it's basically transmitting information back and forth Mm. with the headset. Um, It's, you know, there's always going to be this race between putting more power in something like a headset, but also the fact that this heavier device, this mobile computer that you're walking around with, Mm -hmm. because it's a little bit heavier and you can put it in your pocket, it's also going to be getting a lot more powerful at the same time. And it feels like it'll always be a little bit ahead of any amount of computing that we can put in the glasses. So I don't think it's necessarily an either or. And one of the things people talk about is edge computing. So edge computing is the notion that we want to push more and more computation that's currently in the cloud much closer to the end user. So right now, a lot of cloud computing are these big, massive data centers out there. And that's fine for a lot of applications, particularly ones that don't have a lot of latency. But if you want to start getting into things that are a little bit closer to real time or depend on really tight loops with things like artificial intelligence, you need to push that a lot closer to the end user. And you can start to see a progression that goes from the cloud data centers to the cell tower to maybe down the street from me, maybe it'll be a computing node in my house or maybe the mobile computer that you're already walking around with, it Mm -hmm. becomes an edge computing device. So we'll see both. Very interesting. One other thing that I wanted to to pick your brain on uh, is just the the numbers in gaming and the the number of hours being played each year seems to be skyrocketing i'm not much of a gamer but i, I play different games you know i'm not playing uh, uh medal of honor i'm playing i'm doing stock trading and i'm doing web development and and sports but i mean we're all playing a game of some sort but last figure i heard was that online gaming 13 billion hours were logged last year and it, it seems like this is you know we're all going to be playing a digital game that's of some sort in the in the near future and um I heard this company, Access Infinity, you're probably familiar with, that they've created a currency that sits that, that operates within the game, and now that people can actually monetize their their hours logged. I mean, before people were just playing for fun or they're actually purchasing the game, but now there's there's this this concept of blockchain gaming, and you can actually make you can you can actually be incentivized to to put hours into the game, and it seems the volumes actually seem to be quite impressive. Is there much that you can talk about with with Access yeah. Infinity? Well, first, I'm thinking 13 billion hours logged worldwide sounds maybe like a gross underestimate of how many hours people are spending. (laughs) I remember that it used to be that 
there were gamers and then there were people who were not gamers. And mm-hmm. that still kind of exists as people who self-identify as gamers. But to me, it's almost silly now because I don't know how many billions of people in the world. There's at least a couple of billion people that are playing games on a fairly regular basis, like every week, if not every day. They they just don't call themselves gamers. Like my mother plays right. Candy Crush every day, as far as I know, and has for years. I don't think she calls herself a gamer, but <laughs> she's very much in the game market. So the really interesting thing about the game you just mentioned, Axie Infinity, is it's it's kind of leading the way in a new category of games, which they call play to earn. So if you play a lot of games on your phone, then you're playing you know, free to play games, which basically means it's free to download. And then you're going to buy currencies and items and stuff in the game. But once you're done playing that game, those items are basically lost. Like it has no value. The value was the entertainment value you received for having paid for it. And, and, you know, that's the way about half of the game, more than half of the game market actually is run right now is these virtual economies with virtual items and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, Now free uh, uh, play to earn is a little bit different than that in that you can earn an item or buy an item and you can sell it to another player after you're done with it. Now, in the past, this happened in some games very surreptitiously. Like if anyone out there has played World of Warcraft, you no doubt are aware that there's people who will sell you gold in the game so you don't have to go work on it for yourself. And then you can go buy your mount or whatever you want to do in in World of Warcraft. And that was always sort of very frowned upon by the industry as something that like takes money away from the subscription fees and whatnot that the Mm -hmm. game publishers are are tapping into. So these games like Axie have a completely different model where they actually built their economies around the idea that these virtual goods you've got are liquid assets that you could sell to another player and you can do it through marketplaces and whatnot. Now there's a big question of how sustainable is it in a given game like Axie over time? I don't think anybody knows, but I I will tell you that I think any game to be truly sustainable long-term, it comes down to the fun of it. Is it a fun game and can Mm. you keep adding more things that keep the audience engaged and just enjoying it? And so far, so good on Axie. I think they're doing a great job, but always hard to predict, especially with games, like how is that going to play out long-term? But the the economy that has been created there is pretty mind blowing. It's first of all, their business model is that 95% of the sale price of these items just stays within the player economy. So it doesn't go back to the game publisher. Mm -hmm. It stays with the players. So their take rate is this very small percentage, which is completely different than almost every other game that has ever existed. And you've got, people in the Philippines, for example, who started doing the work of like building up the characters that they could sell the characters to the other players who didn't want to invest in as much time to do that. Some of these people in the Philippines are making like four times a living wage Mm -hmm. in their economy. So that was amazing. And then you've got all these new virtual organizations that are springing up. There's this thing called Yield Guild. And Yield Mm -hmm. Guild is a group of players out of the Philippines that started out playing Axie and some of these other games. 
and they were helping people learn to play. They did so well and they're earning so much money that they actually attracted venture capital investments. And now their guild is investing in other games and helping them get started with more free to play, but I mean, play to earn games. So it's a, it's a really interesting phenomenon. I it's, a category that's here to stay and I think will continue to grow, uh, but super early innings and, and hard to know who the big winners are going to be there. But Axie is the first to have passed a billion dollars in total sales in their economy, which is amazing. Wow. I think their coin, I just looked up Axie Infinity. I think their coin market cap is $4 billion as well. So <laughs> impressive. <laughs> so John, are we headed towards ready player one? the movie or are we headed towards the matrix, the movie or both? Oh, neither of those, neither of those dystopias, please. So (laughs) certainly, certainly I don't want to be uh, generating energy for my brain for, for AIs. Um, (laughs) And I hope it's not ready player one in terms of one company owning it all, because I think that'll just be a terrible tax on innovation and creativity. But where I think we are going is you will be able to have experiences of the kind that you saw in Ready Player One, Mm -hmm. or for that matter, back in Snow Crash, which is the book that actually coined the word metaverse. You will have those experiences and that's coming, but it's going to be a lot more interesting, weirder, cooler than even Ready Player One, because there's going to be a community of tens of millions of people, if not more, creating the content and the real-time experiences for this. Weird is a, a good word to throw in there, because <laughs> if you look through human history, just the, the amount of change that our brains are going to have to be able to absorb and process in a relatively short period of time is going to be unprecedented to anything. Uh, yeah, and it's accelerating. That's the thing. Yeah. We're not good at seeing accelerating exponential mm-hmm. curves. And the fact of all this is that it's it's just accelerating. Just on one one metric, like AI alone, like I did a graph showing how many um, parameters are in the current era of AI versus just like three years ago. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like a hundred thousand percent more parameters. <laughs> so we've got computers now that can actually make pretty passable texts. And, uh, and that's going to be part of the metaverse too, is like virtual characters that you're going to interact with in a lot of these yeah. worlds and experiences. Yeah. There, there's a movie called the village, which is sort of related to where we're at, but basically it's, uh, it's almost like an Amish community that just says, you know what, this, this modern world is too crazy. Let's just go into the woods and build an old school, uh, you know, traditional community, no technology. looks like it takes place maybe in like the 1700s. And, um, but it's in the modern era and they're just hiding and, and they've tricked all the, the youth into believing that there's nothing outside the walls. And I think you might start seeing that where you get some people that are just like, this is too much. Let's just go live an old school lifestyle in the woods and away from everything and totally, uh, totally detached from technology. I'm sure you'll be able to get into some metaverse that will simulate that for you. <laughs> there you go. I love it. John, uh, before we break, tell us a little bit more about your company. It sounds really interesting. What, what are you, what are you working on? Yeah, thanks. I, I mean, I'm really focused on this problem of ease of creation, creating content and games in a world which is always on, always connected, live, social. So Beamable, my company, is in the business of helping game makers create live 
online games. So right now that requires a lot of backend engineering. You have to build stuff on your own. We really saw an opportunity to make it for the creators. So artists and game designers and people who sit down in, in front of Unity to build their game can now build a live game just drag and drop. You know, it's it's that creator era of game making that I was talking about earlier. And in the future, because the way I see the metaverse unfolding is it's really going to be informed by game design, game technology, where I think we end up is the technology stack that really powers a lot of the metaverse is going to be the stack that is being created for game makers right now. So that's kind of how I connect the two together. And I, I talk about this on my blog, building the metaverse as well, which is the pragmatics of like game making right now and just making it easier for these millions of game makers. But the future is a metaverse of all kinds of things from live music to the future of work, collaboration, travel, telepresence. It's going to be an exciting decade. And and for all the listeners, your YouTube channel is also building the metaverse and your company is called Beamable, correct? Yes, that's right. Great. Thank you. Thanks to all that in the show notes. John, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for taking us on the vision quest of the metaverse, which is already here, but just going to get better. This has been so much fun to talk about. Thanks for having me. Oof. Sam, it feels like I just smoked a joint and had this crazy conversation down a rabbit hole. I, I actually tried to listen to this two nights in a row and I would just kind of like drift off into sleep both times, but not, <laughs> not in a bad way. Cause it wasn't boring. It was just like, like Dream. my mind would just drift. Just, yeah. I would start just thinking like, Oh my God, what's going on? Yeah. The difference in you smoking a joint and me smoking a joint is different. When you say that, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, you got, you're getting super paranoid and want to hide in, in a closet by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to start just dreaming about, you know, what the world of the metaverse could be. And actually, uh, since then, I've done a lot of research and I watched, you know, a bunch of videos from from different sources dating back to 2005 wow. when it actually first started kicking off. Uh, do you remember a game called Second Life? I know the name, but I, I was never much of a gamer, so I, I never actually played it. So people have completely for- forgotten about it. And that's actually a very good point on why I think investing in any platform, any company uh, or any you know token or anything right now is a huge risk because something can be really popular like Second Life was, and it can completely be forgotten about, you know, 10, 15 years later, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, and with today's technology changing so fast, it can be forgotten about in two months. You know, I'm sure there was a bunch of, you know, Bitcoin replacements, you know, that were hot two years ago that people have completely forgotten the names. They even heard of it. So in our memories, we always think, you know, that we, we had all the good, you know, stock picks or all the, all the good choices. Cause we only remember the, the winners. We forget the, the losers. We, we quietly lost money. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. All right. So second life is basically a online world that started, I think around like the early two thousands. Um, and it was basically Sims and, you know, uh, Sim city, but online, but it wasn't a game. It was a place where people can like literally live a second life. Mm-hmm. They can get a, a job. They can create a business online. And that money that they earned through those second life businesses, they can actually uh, cash out via PayPal. So it was, you know, 
the you know, second life currency that would convert into US dollars or into whatever your currency was. That was the metaverse. You know, people would buy clothes inside the game. People would have their avatars, you know, uh, you know, styled up. And it's sad to look at it now. You know, if you take a look, you know, like there's a few people that still play, but you know, it's very, very small now. But if you go in, you're like, man, this place sucks. Why would anyone spend any time or money in it? And my big question is, let's say you bought the NFTs for, you know, the best piece of property in Beverly Hills, you know, or a Ferrari Lamborghini or something, you know, um, you know, you spend all this money in the in-game uh, world where you own the NFTs to, to, you know, whatever it is. And five years from now, 10 years from now, that platform completely changes. It's like owning a Rolex in Second Life. It's like having a million dollar business in Second Life. No one cares anymore. Yeah, continue. <laughs> so that is the whole reason why I think it's a terrible idea to try to pick winners now. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming you're, you're kind of excited about what, what my buddy uh, had to say, right? Well, I haven't heard of a stock recommendation yet. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it, like, it, is is that coming, or is it just like don't in, well, don't invest in the metaverse? Well, no, no, that, that's the hard. That's uh, so. I was trying to get a straight answer from him, right? And he mm-hmm. says, like, it's hard to you know predict what's going to happen in the future. And he said, right now, like, you know, this very day or moment, there's nothing he would buy. But in general, he would buy things like, for example, he had invested in Axie Infinity. Uh, back when it was 50 cents and now it's $66. Yeah. And the reason why he invested in it and kind of the opportunities he's looking for in future investments are things that he is a part of that he understands because he's an actual user. Mm-hmm. Uh, his recommendation is the people who aren't using it or part of it. Uh, for example, with Axie, not only was he playing the game, he was actually participating in like governance. Uh, he would, you know, uh, you know, uh, take uh, like participation in the voting of the new rules. Uh, and he was basically just in it every single day. And that's why he was comfortable buying it and selling it, uh, you know, selling the token when he was, you know, uh, as, as it went up. And now, you know, basically he would only buy something that he's actually actively using. Um, and I think of most investors in the metaverse, you know, space, we're basically just, you know, like kind of a lot of us, you know, we, we don't even use the product. We're just kind of thinking, oh, that might go up. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, I've just invested in like tech companies. I mean, they, I don't think these stocks are risky. They're not, I'm not investing in, I also own Axis, uh, Axie Infinity, but I didn't get it at 50 cents. <laughs> um, but no, I think like it doesn't change my view on, on what I'm trying to do, which is basically... Mm-hmm. To get a two x return in three years, it's not it's not a, a super ambitious target. Um, and I still like this. I mean, there's a couple companies in that portfolio that I don't know, but um, I don't think there's any way that like a company like Sony or um, you know Matterport or Roblox, you know, some of these companies may go to zero. But I think that there's a good chance that a lot of these companies are going to be instrumental parts of the metaverse if the meta and the metaverse may fall short of expectations too i, I don't think it will cuz I, I also agree with with your pal k that this is this is the evolution of the internet and the evolution of the internet 
whatever format it's going to be in, it's going to be powerful. Like, and, and all the big players now, um, you know, I, I think a lot of them are still going to be around. It's like in the dot-com bubble, you, a lot of people, a lot of companies went broke, right? But if you stopped investing in technology because of that experience, because you're afraid that some of these companies were going to be obsolete or some of these games were going to be obsolete, then you totally missed the boat, right? And I know people that invested in the dot-com boom and stopped investing because they didn't trust the markets. They, they thought the markets were manipulated. And 20 years later, they're still sitting on cash and that cash is worth half as much as it was 20 years ago. So I, I agree that, um, and we said this in, in the last episode too, that, you know, if you, if you were, if I was giving advice to anybody, I would say, if you believe that the internet's going to continue to evolve and technology is going to continue to, to advance and grow and become more uh, ingrained in our lives, you should just invest in VGT, Vanguard uh, Technology Index. And if you want, know a couple of companies very intimately, like your buddy Kay, knew, was, was very um, intimate with, with uh, Axie Infinity. And pick pick a couple winners. You know, don't do what I did, where you're you're investing um, across ten specific stocks that you don't know a lot about. Uh, but again, we said that in the last episode that like it's not. This isn't advice. This is literally just to put a portfolio together, to have a little bit of fun, and to uh, and to share kind of the journey and track it over the next couple of years with with our listeners. I like that, and actually, I actually agree with your investing strategy. Uh, when I was talking to Kay, I was like, you know what? I can see a, a, a world and reality where he is, he is right. And he probably is, he's probably correct uh, in you know how things should go. But I don't think, I, I think he's optimistic. And I think a lot of people in this space, you know, whether it's uh, metaverse or, um, you know, VR or crypto, people think it's going to be, a, it's going to come a lot faster than it will. Mm-hmm. You know, VR, we talked about for so many de- like decades, literally, and it's still not that popular. It's like it has, you know, it's getting better, but it's not, it's still not actually popular. Like, yeah, I'm still shocked. I, you know, I'm like the one place I would expect people to be using VR would be on airplanes. When you're sitting there, instead of having a screen, you know, holding a phone up to watch your movie or something, an iPad, why not just put on a VR headset? It seems way easier I'm more comfortable to watch, uh, to watch something, but I never yeah. see it. And you, and you, and you totally zone out your shitty environment of riding coach yeah. on Ryanair. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that is, yeah. that's, a, that's actually a very good point because the last time I put on an Oculus headset, which was the only time I was like, wow, this is amazing. So why don't we see more people using it now? Are we just, are we content with our devices and, and PlayStation and Xbox? Or is it, is it, is it some type of limitation of, the hardware or, or access to it, or people just aren't aware yet. I'm not sure that, that, but that's a, that's a good and valid point. Yeah. I think it, it, it's hard because technically the technology is there and it's not that people can afford it because prices have gone down and we spend way more money on dumber crap. You know, mm-hmm. uh, people have no problem spending 1200 on, on a new smartphone. Like why wouldn't they also spend 1200 on, um, you know, on a VR headset. Right. So, I think it's it's because technology just moves slower than we think it's going to move. And mm-hmm. I think my buddy Kay is, you know, he's betting that it's going to, that it's going to move the way it should move or, you know, um, rationally would move, but that's not the way the world works. So either he's going to be super rich, uh, you know, and, you know, but it doesn't sound like he is betting or is he just betting? Is he just in, involved in a couple small ones like Axie Infinity? Uh, 
I think he made a lot of big plays like throughout last year. And now he's kind of just slowly selling off. Okay. Uh, I kind of just waiting for, for, for the next kind of opportunity. Uh, yeah. One thing he did tell he did, he did share with me was that, you know, last year when he would think of it, you know, see an investment, he'll watch it for even up to two months and just, you know, and figure out rationally if it's something to invest in or not. Yeah. He said that in today's day and age, uh, you know, uh, it's like, he's like, he's, he gives himself a five minute time limit. And he says, I gotta, I gotta decide on this right now. Cause you know, one thing, you know, once information's out there, people act so quickly now that you can't sit on it for, you know, even a day to think about it or, or month to think about it. You have to make a decision right away. Yeah. Well, I do, I do like that point of, of following companies and following stocks and, and making plays. That's, that's certainly how I made it or did very well with Tesla and Bitcoin, just mm-hmm. watching them for a bit, especially with Tesla. Cause I started seeing the way that it was trading. I started understanding a lot more about the in- infrastructure they're building that they weren't, they weren't aiming to be a car, a car company. They're aiming to be a, a you know, a massive technology and, and energy company. And um, you see their stock get whacked for, you know, maybe for arguably arguable reasons, but you think they're way undervalued and you can pick up more. And um, the, so, I mean, I, I guess the question is, <laughs> it's like to be or not to be, to, to bet on the metaverse or not bet on the metaverse. Uh, so I'm betting on the metaverse. And I think the way, the way to, to bet on it is either just buy VGT and, and larger and like overbalanced to VGT or, uh, or just pick, you know, pick a, a dozen stocks that you think will benefit. And just for, as an update from the last episode, so I, I did add Axie Infinity and I added um, Matterport to the portfolio. So basically portfolio is fully allocated. I'll repost in the Patreon group. And from this point on, I might pick up a few more things, but really we'll just, we'll just keep an eye on it and we'll report on it uh, each quarter and see, see how it's moving uh, compared to VGT. Okay. I like it. So I do have a question that, that Kay would ask you, uh, and I'm not necessarily uh, in favor of doing this because I think it's a lot more risky. Mm-hmm. But his question to you would be, why are you buying stocks and not tokens in the, the actual you know, companies itself? Or not even companies, but the, you know, whatever the, the, the thing is yeah. that is selling the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting one. But I do think that is, that's literally throwing darts at a board where the, and, and I think the upside and downside, just it's just way more risky. Most of the companies that I invested in, they're, they're companies with pretty sound financials. They've got history. They've, they've got products. I don't think they're going to, you know, I don't think any of them are going to go to zero. I did buy Axie Infinity, which is, which is the token. And I've got access to crypto through Coinbase and uh, the Gemini Series B financing. But I, I think with, uh, with the coins, I know nothing about coins except for Bitcoin, basically, right? And, and Ethereum, but I don't follow them. And I think you really need to, you, you really need to understand either strictly throwing darts at a board, you're looking at what's available to buy and you're going and, and buying without knowing anything about mm-hmm. them. Or if you, or you really need to dig into them and figure out, is there something there? And on my, you know, I'd rather lose investing in Sony in a company that, that, that I believe in than throwing darts at crypto currencies or tokens that I know very little about. And I'm still very skeptical on if the entire bottom is going to fall out of, of, of all of, you know, of, of most cryptos. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely rational and prudent and that's the way I would do it personally as well. Uh, I think, you know, Kay's argument was, would, would be more, you know, with, with Sony or these, you know, these uh, blue chip companies, 
you know, you're you're hoping for a 3x return with these tokens, you know, you're hoping for a 300x return. But yeah. from my kind of rational, logical side, I would do what you're doing and say, you know what, I'm perfectly happy making 3x and not, you know, and knowing that these companies are solid mm-hmm. um, than taking a, a big risk. You know, it's almost kind of like betting on red and black or, you know, putting it on 36 Right. (laughs) That's exactly it. And I don't like, you know, when I'll take, I'll take some risks on, but they're that, that can be total wipeouts, but they're pretty small. And I don't like, I don't like total wipeouts. I don't think anyone does, but my risk appetite is it's not there. It's like going and gambling. I've always hated gambling at casinos. It, It just, it's, the sting of losing is so much more extreme than than the than the pleasure of winning. So yeah, I, I agree. You know, I'm the exact same way. Yeah, if if I think it could be a total wipeout, I'm trying to I'm trying to like keep my bets to like very minimal, um, to the point that I, I just don't even care it really if if it is yeah. a wipeout. So I definitely don't want a total wipeout on cryptocurrency. I'd feel like crap because I, I haven't been. Yeah. You know, it, besides Bitcoin, I'm not a proponent of like all the tokens and coins. Um, I mean, I think th- I think there's utility in some of them, and I think some of them will continue to do good. But as as a whole, I think a lot of it, including NFTs, is going to just render as total waste. Well, uh, I'll tell you right now, one coin that's probably a scam. It's actually Axie, A X I. And when I looked it up, and I was looking to see how much Axie Infinity was trading for, and luckily I was on the phone with Kay, and I was like. 50 cents i was like that seems really cheap by the dip you know <laughs> or no or five cents it was like yeah it was like five cents or something it was something crazy cheap you know i don't know uh it was at five cents and i said to Kay, i was like and how much did you buy it for and he's like 50 cents and i was like you just lost you know 90 percent of your money mm-hmm. he's like what are you talking about it's at 66 dollars now and then i realized i was looking at the wrong ticker symbol you know it's supposed to be a x s which doesn't even sound correct, right? A- AXI sounds like it, it should be that. Right. And they even, uh, I think the name of it is even something like Axums, you know, right. which you think, oh, it's an Axum. Like that's what I'm buying, but mm-hmm. it's it's probably just a scam. Probably. And we, I mean, there's a lot of stuff running around that, that's scammy. There's a million stories out there. We don't need to talk about it here, but you can look them up. Um, it is was I got Axie Infinity. I put like fifteen thousand into that, so that's about as risky as I'm going to get. Besides the the Gemini investment, um, but I, I, even the Gemini investment, I think is it's it's lower risk. Um, it's got a liquidity preference. We can we can that's there's a lot of detail there that's actually quite interesting to go through. We'll probably talk about that on the quarterly updates. But um, okay, who are those guys? So, the Winkle Winkle Boss guys, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're the they're the owners and. Or the co-founders and CEO behind Gemini. They're smart yeah. guys. Well, so I have one question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. Hypothetically, let's say you didn't have any any Bitcoin at all, and you didn't have any Coinbase stock, and you can only invest in one or the other. You know, you could put in you know what, what, whatever that amount is, right? Fifty grand, hundred grand, but you can only put it in either um, Bitcoin itself or into Coinbase stocks. Which one would you choose, and why? Can I go 50-50 on each? <laughs> no. All right. Well, well okay. I, I, I probably, if, if, it, if I was sitting here right now out of the game, I would probably, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would be super in, excited to do either, but I would probably go into, I don't know, coin flip, really. I think, um, okay. Is this, 
so the whole China thing's still weird, right? But I, I think yeah. Bitcoin's going to be around. It like just might end up being like a, a, a currency of like developing countries. Um, mm-hmm. But like you, you could end up having like a lot of the Western countries or and or China, like Russia, do like this like gold confiscation, uh, confiscation like they did it under Roosevelt back in the U.S. in the 1930s. Um, so I, I think the you know the, the chances of Bitcoin going to a hundred thousand or ten thousand are like kind of the same you know earlier in the year I was, I was like i think it's closer to going to a hundred thousand now i don't know tricky coinbase fundamentally i mean they make a lot of money and their stocks got beat up uh, over the last um since their ipo so i think you know as long as, long as crypto holds up i think you know that's that's the type of company that could like it could be just like a future bank stock and pay like a really fat dividend um but it, it's so dependent on on crypto the crypto market and crypto regulations Okay. So what's your choice? 100% Bitcoin or 100% Coinbase? Um, probably, I'd probably go into Bitcoin. Okay. So my, my so follow-up question is, if, uh, if you were to do half-half, what would your rationale for that be? Diversification. Simple as that. It's okay. always my rationale with everything. That's why I'm in 70 different investments outside of just wanting to share the uh, experience with the listeners. It's uh, It's about diversification you concentrate your bets to build wealth and you diversify to maintain it and so i'm much more in the the maintain mode right now okay makes sense so the reason why i asked that is my rationale is coinbase stock will only continue going up if the crypto market is steady and growing right so if bitcoin is growing and people are happy then coinbase will continue making money Mm -hmm. but if bitcoin ever you know just collapses or crashes, then Coinbase is going to, the, the users and the demand is going to crash as well. So they're correlated. Yeah. Yeah. And because so can, you, can you imagine if, yeah, if Bitcoin dropped to, you know, whatever, let's say it dropped to $5,000, right? Or $1,000 or something, something catastrophic happened. People just, you know, were not interested anymore. They stopped using it. There'll be a few months of like lots of trading, you know, to, to dump. But after that, let's say it never recovers. Do you think anyone's going to buy any kind of Bitcoin? Oh, and any kind of crypto, if Bitcoin, you know, just decides to, to take a nosedive? Yeah, I think so. I think there's so many people that are speculating now and just like no one wants an 8% return. People are like, it, it's it's stimulus. People want to make these these bets, taking more and more risk. Yeah. And if it's not crypto, it'll be NFTs. And if it's not NFTs, it'll be tulips again. <laughs> it'll be something yeah. else. Like people are just too, they have no, they have no patience no attention span. They want to, you know, they want to take risks, uh, cry about the losses and get a free government handout. That's pretty much, yeah, that's where we're headed. That's where we're at. I think that's why, we're, I think that's why we're in another bubble. I think yeah. it's going to pop hard. Every I don't know single, when. Every single thing indicates we're in a bubble. Yeah. I mean, there's just, yeah. there's so much sloppiness. You know, my buddy was staying at a hostel and um, in, in Spain and he's like, it's full of like these 20 year old uh, American kids and they're all talking about how they've taken their stimulus checks, invested hundred mm-hmm. percent in crypto. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that, that to me sounds exactly like the, the big short uh, signs, right? When like the strippers are talking yeah. about how they've gotten a third mortgage. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's so much out there that looks like we're in a bubble, but I don't even know anymore, man. Fundamentals are being redefined. There's so much new money in the money supply. So everything's inflated. Who knows? Yeah. But remember this, every single time that something, you know, right before something had crashed, people have always said, 
this time it's different. Right. And it always is different, but it doesn't mean, you know, being different doesn't mean it's, it's immune. So I'm predicting a huge crash. I don't know when it's going to be. I, I think it should be, you know, next week, right? But it'll, <laughs> John, but people it's work it up, you know. Bold, yeah. It's time to make some bold predictions, all right? Because somebody's always right. And when you make, like, people never remember what you get wrong when you make these predictions, right? But when you get one right and you're like, all right, market's going to crash next week. Uh, here's why yeah. and whatever. Then you like have like your entire you have, you have that for the rest of your life. You can always go back and be like, listen to yeah, okay. episode 197. And, uh, and then you get on CNBC and like, all of a sudden you're like a financial wizard and they want to interview you for everything. All right. Here's my pitch. So guys, Johnny FD is formally predicting that there's going to be a huge market crash on October 31st, 2021 Halloween night. The stocks are going to crash. It's going to bring down real estate with it. It's going to, it's going to rip down crypto it's going to, you know people are going to feel what nfts are it's all going to crap it's going to be worldwide i love that you just said that and now you've got to make a move on it you can't just say it so what are you going to do johnny if you really <laughs> believe this then right when you hang up the phone you go and sell everything and you just hoard cash and the listeners want you to be accountable to this so what's it going to be johnny well i'm very lucky that i actually am hoarding cash now and it was actually more to buy another apartment, but I've decided to even hold off on that. Uh, I decided it, it's smart to to save some money just in case, you know, I want to make a move, you know, because who knows, right? Like I might decide next year, like after this winter, you know, sc- you know, screw Ukraine. I can't, I can't stand the winners and I'll buy a place in Mexico. Yeah. So I want to have cash on hand for that. Um, as far as stocks, I know they're gonna, they will recover. You know, it might take two years, five years, 10 years. Uh, I just don't want to ever be in a position where I have to sell them. So everything I've already cashed out on my, on my individual stocks uh, because those might go away forever, but the index funds I'm going to hold through the next crash, even if it drops by 50 or 70%. So you sold all of your individual stocks. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to oh, save, man. we're going to save it for the uh, okay. quarterly wow. update. Dude, I have on so the Patreon, much to talk but... about on the quarterly update. I've been so active, yeah. but, but just, just um, on the, on this narrative, I have to say that, two or three times um, in the, in the past that I've been, I felt like I'm chasing, chasing investments and like I'm I'm over allocating and I don't have my cash reserve that I normally have, which is like 10%. The it's when the markets pulled back heavily. And then there's like, you know, the market pulls back. Like for instance, when COVID broke out, everything was down 30%. I had no, I had basically no cash. And I'm in the same position now where I've like, I've gotten fully in. I feel like I'm chasing a lot of, lot of deals and um you know and, and historically there's been a, a major pullback or even a recession after that so uh so we'll see maybe i'll i'm not I, i'm not selling the metaverse portfolio though i've, I've committed to this for the listeners um <laughs> <laughs> viewing pleasure like viewing any of them pleasure. care <laughs> yeah 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 like, like any of them care uh, about I, me anyways yeah, you guys don't no, care about do. me you they, just want to they're they're rooting for you. They're yeah. rooting for you. At least somebody is. But they're not like your buddy, not your yeah. buddy Kay, who's just a hater on my metaverse portfolio. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's right. funny. Um so anyways, it's been a this basically part three of, of the metaverse stuff. So I hope all the listeners got something out of this. Um it will we'll probably wind it up for now, but we'll be paying close attention to um at least to my to my portfolio and we'll be sharing the quarterly updates on it. And I thought John was awesome. Like if you guys want to check out 
his content, you can check out his YouTube channel called Building the Metaverse. Very simple, uh, straightforward videos, but he's got a lot of graphics and stuff that he brings into it. So check that out. And again, his company uh, was Beamable, um, which is uh, also a metaverse company. All right. I like it. If you guys want to add me on Second Life, uh, it is, uh, you know, six foot tall black guy, 77. And, and, and Johnny's selling his, his Rolex for uh, $5 yeah. <laughs> in, the, in Second Life if you want to buy it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Sam, always good talking to you. And I'll see you guys all next week. Uh, make sure you guys sign up for the Patreon to support the show, but also to get access to the next quarterly update that is coming up soon. So go to investlikeaboss.com and click on Patreon. See you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.